winning success all comes down to being happy. And true happiness to me comes from serving other people. Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast, a place for people who want to read more books and uh, be in a book club, but don't have time to do either. I take care of that for you. Jason Van Camp is in the uh, book club uh, today. He wrote a book called Deliberate Discomfort, talking about his time as a Green Beret. So just a quick content warning. The podcast is fine, but if you do choose to pick up the book, he relays his experiences in the military. So yeah, there's a little bit of language there. But now he's the founder and CEO of Mission 6-0, an organization that works with businesses and professional sports teams to grow and excel and do their best. And it comes with being uncomfortable. I mean, the very beginning, uh, just the note that you have at the very beginning and talking about this book is getting comfortable about being uncomfortable and then talking about, you know, if you're, you're ready for change, for growth, you're ready to accept and embrace suffering because you want a better life. So what's stopping you? And I thought, man, the, what a powerful thought just, uh, you know, you could talk a little bit about this, but yeah, the fear, you know, talk about that. What, why is fear stop us? How do we get over that? Yeah, that, that's, that's the whole point of the book. And I appreciate you bringing that up. It's what is stopping us, you know, and I think it's, it's fear. And I, I've say, I say this quite a bit. It's fear kills more dreams and failure ever will. And so I think to myself, what, okay, well, what am I afraid of? And I think of um, the old phrase, fear of the unknown, right? But that's not entirely accurate because fear is the unknown, right? You're only afraid of, of what you don't know, what you don't see or what you don't understand. Once you truly know something, you're no longer afraid of it. You know, it's just like playing, in, playing sports, you know, before the game, you're nervous, you're anxious, you know, you got those butterflies, you don't know how it's going to go. But as soon as the game starts and you get a little bit of, of momentum, a little bit of playing time, you're no longer afraid. You're just playing, you know? And I think it's, uh, it's not the obstacle you fear. It's that unknown result of attempting to overcome that obstacle. So what we try to do is we try to uh, inspire people to willingly choose to confront that fear, that unknown, whatever it may be for them, like head on. And there's no better message, I, I think, right now for our country COVID-19, we're all afraid, you know, like what, what's going on? How is this going to impact our businesses? How is our family going to be impacted by this? You know, the, the whole social justice movement right now. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's scary. That's uncomfortable. And what I'm saying is, let's embrace that discomfort and let's become stronger because of it. Springboarding off that a little bit in your chapter called The Commander, I, I highlighted this little phrase and I thought, man, especially right now with, you know, again, social justice, the unrest, um, you say, when you talk, you're only repeating what you already know, but if you listen, you may learn something new. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. My commander told me, I major Brian Pettit, you know, in, in chapter one, my boss, essentially, he said, Jason, the difference between being a good Green Beret and a great Green Beret is their ability to listen. You know, as you said, you know, when you talk, you're only repeating what you already know, but if you listen, you're going to learn something new. And that really comes down to emotional intelligence as well, because I think a lot of people are just waiting for their turn to speak and they're not listening, you know, and my boss, Brian Pettit said, listen, first thing I want to do welcoming you into this unit for the first time is I want to listen to you. Tell me about yourself. This is going to be a long-term relationship. You know, I want to understand you. I want to know who you are. And I think also a lot of people, really don't understand or know who they are. And so self-awareness is a huge component of, 
of uh, laying a foundation of, of trust and being successful in this country. Jumping to the chapter about the team. And I love the stories you weave in this, in this book uh, about your experiences you. and stuff. And, you know, as someone who always, you know, of course, love and respect um, men and women who've served in the, in the military. Thank you for your service, by the way. It's, it's kind of our, you know, as a civilian, we have no idea what you guys go through behind the scenes. So it's been, it was very eye-opening. And well, thank you for saying that. Hopefully the book showed you because I wanted to be authentic, like showing you behind the scenes. This is how it really is. So yeah, hopefully it, that did a good job of that. And I thought, okay, I don't think I could have made it past the day where you were doing the log PT. Yeah. <laughs> All of that giant log. And you talk about, uh, I think this is something kind of interesting um, that you learned to look up during that time and, and the lesson behind that. Yeah, that's a powerful lesson. A lot of people ask me to, to speak about that lesson in particular. And, um, and I said in the book, that no matter how many books you read or podcasts you listen to, special forces, special operations types of books or podcasts you listen to, the secret is this, it's just to look up, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell that story very, very briefly here. Um, you know, first day of, uh, of special forces training, they, they start with physical training exercise. It's really, really difficult and they want to they break you off. Right? They want to make it as, as hard, as difficult as possible to really uh, see who you are, see what your character is all about, and, and see what you're able to, um, to overcome. Right? Mm -hmm. They want you to suffer. Right? They want you to kind of expose your heart in a way. You know? And I think that that initial stress overload is the best discriminator when assessing an individual or even a group's willing willingness to accomplish something difficult. Um, you know, after 20 minutes, you know, when you first start, everybody's excited and, you know, you're a little nervous and people are chanting and, you know, it's a lot of chaos. But after 20 minutes, when you're holding that 300-pound, 400-pound log over your head as a team, I mean, not just one dude holding the 300-pound log, you're doing, you know, exercises where you do bicep curls and you do inverted push-ups and you do a bunch of stuff, right? Uh, relay races with the thing. And you do it for hours, hours and hours and hours. After 20 minutes, just 20 minutes, when you're tired of holding that log over your head, you can't fake it any longer. You know, your true personality comes out. And so during this situation, um, I, for whatever reason, instead of using energy that would have been perhaps better used to focus on myself internally, you know, which is what most people think, like I can just suffer through this. I can just get through this. Um, I used the energy to lift my head up and look around. And what I saw was other guys on other teams suffering just as bad as if not worse than I was. And in that moment, a friend of mine that I went to school with, Pat, he lifted up his head as well. And he looked around and we kind of locked eyes and we looked at each other and he said, let's go, Jay, you got this, you know? And I kind of smiled. I kind of smirked in my, my pain and, and I shouted some words of encouragement back at him, you know, even though it required energy, more energy that I could use on myself internally, you know, and, and when I said that more guys started to lift their heads and they looked around and we began to focus on one another rather than our, on ourselves, you know, so this, this looking up became contagious, it became infectious. And strangely enough, when we started doing this, we forgot about our pain right? Our time, the time seemed to move faster. The log felt lighter. The reality is that nothing changed. 
you know, the log was still heavy. It was still hot out. You know, we're still sweating. It was still miserable, but our attitudes changed. We began to choose how we thought, deciding where to direct our energy instead of internally, we're directing it externally. And so I think we find our collective purpose when we're in situations like that. And, and the lesson learned is it's not about you. It's about the guy to your left and to your right. It's about the team. You know, the guys that don't make it are the guys that are self-centered. They don't risk any energy uh, that doesn't immediately serve their own interests. The guys that don't look up and the guys that do look up are the guys that succeed. And I'll flash forward two and a half years later, we were donning our green berets for the first time. We're all in formation. We had just graduated big moment, you know, and I looked at uh, the formation. I looked around, I lifted my head up again. And I looked at the guys to my left and to my right. I looked at the guys behind me in front of me. And I was like, wow, the guys that looked up on day one are all here. And the guys that didn't are not. And that was a powerful lesson for me. All right. So let's go here, Jason, uh, in your chapter talking about the self. Is there a way that you can paraphrase this? Because I mean, the whole chapter is kind of about it, but explain what a flow state is. How do we get into that? Yeah. Flow state uh, is many, many of us have been in that flow state um, um, kind of experience, whether you were in in combat or playing, mostly playing sports, things like that. Things just seem to, everything just goes well. You're completely immersed in a task. Nothing else matters. Your ego is falling to the wayside. Time is just flying by. You seem to like be hitting on all cylinders you know, everything is, is just going perfectly, seamlessly. And um, flow can be associated with the greatest performances ever achieved. Uh, clutch plays to win championships, innovation, creativity, courageous acts of bravery, all that um, is, is kind of your flow state. And so what we talk about in chapter three is, is figuring out how to get in that flow state. And it really comes down to knowing yourself and knowing your values and getting your values aligned with, with the experience that's going on around you. Um, and it's, and also in addition to that, I would say that it's balancing your skill level with how challenging the task is. So not biting off more than you can chew or doing something incredibly easy that you can't get uh, passionate or enthusiastic about. And so that's what chapter three is all about. Talk about, when you're faced with a problem, a tough decision, you say, consider the lazy Susan approach. I just like the word lazy oh, yeah. in general. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, I can do yes. that. I can be lazy. <laughs> so talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So Dr. Sarah Spradlin is a, is a valued member of the mission six zero team. And she's a, a former Lieutenant Colonel Marine Corps. She's a doctor right now. She's like the, to me, you know, I know it's, it's subjective, but she's the number one emotional intelligence expert in the United States right now. And um, I'm just so proud of her and, and her ability to articulate a clear, concise message. And one of the things that she created is something called the lazy Susan approach. And, uh, and if you ever, you know, used a lazy Susan before, it's just, you know, it's, it's sort of like a turntable that you have on your, um, on your, your table, usually when you're eating a meal. Um, and what you can do is you take that um, lazy Susan and you're able to turn it in certain 
degrees to take a different perspective on, uh, on the situation, on things that are going on in your life, on what's happening to you right now. And so it's in, in essence, it's about emotional dexterity and empathy and understanding um, what's happening from a different perspective, from different perspectives in somebody else's shoes. And then through that, you understand that there's something called a, a locus of control. You know, it's um, when you decide to can basically your locus of control is the position in which outcomes are derived from your own thoughts and actions and decisions. And if you can believe that, then you maintain full control of your own success and failure. And that's sort of like your internal locus of control. And your external locus of control is when you think that uh, things are generally out of your control where uh, external variables are to blame like luck or, uh, or God or something like that, where it's like, hey, listen, I'm not in control of my, of my success or failure. It's, it's predetermined or, you know, um, a higher being is going to kind of do this for me. I don't have anything to do with it. And that's uh, your external locus of control. And so uh, you kind of look at that from the, from the lazy Susan approach um, uh, of impulse control and objectivity as you are able to manage your emotional intelligence and, and dexterity. So let's go here. Um, you, of course, you know, you work with all these, you know, great organizations and, and these teams and stuff like that. So very high powered, uh, expecting a lot. And when they ask you to help them succeed, you will often say, what does success look like? And I think that's seeming, seemingly a basic question, but it's actually pretty deep when you think about it. So how do you quantify what success looks like maybe in, in your life? So we get that a lot. People ask us, just Jason, just, just help me win. Just help me succeed. <laughs> and it's like, okay, all right, let's calm down. Let's take a deep breath. What does that mean? What does success look like to you? What does winning look like to you? You know, and we have oftentimes people really don't think deeply about that. For me, I've thought deeply about it, you know, and I think that it all comes, winning success all comes down to being happy and true happiness to me comes from serving other people. I really, truly believe that the happiest I've ever been in my life has been when I've been actually serving other people. And it's almost counterintuitive to think that way, like being of service, helping other people, you know, instead of focusing on yourself. You know, uh, people, clients ask me all the time, um, especially in the NFL, how is this training making me a better player? You know, and I tell them straight up, it's not. <laughs> it's making the person next to you a better player. That's the mindset that you have to have in order to succeed at your job, in order to truly be happy. And that mindset will lead to success in all facets of your life. In the chapter of the final battle, you talk about um, dealing with stress. You say there's no way to remove stress from your life, but there's some ways to be prepared for it. So how do we prepare for what's coming, the stress that is, is on the way? So in chapter 10, The Long Walk, we talk uh, with Joey Jones, who's a Fox News analyst, and he talks about his experiences stepping on an ID in, uh, in Afghanistan. And he lost both of his legs and some other injuries as well. 
And so we really focus on compartmentalization in, in chapter 10 and what essentially what that means and how we can, we can move uh, forward with um, focusing on the moment, you know, being where your feet are and compartmentalizing everything else. And so, you know, when we talk about stress in this chapter and, you know, God knows going to combat is extremely stressful. You know, um, we talk about a few things. One is, can I control it? Can I influence it? And do I need to accept it? You know, and uh, one thing that I do to control stress is really to make a choice, um, a predetermined choice, so that when I'm in the moment, um, it's not as stressful as it possibly could be. Uh, for example, um, you get stressed out at work. I do all the time. You know, there's a tough client or a tough vendor or there's, you know, employees that are disgruntled or what have you. And it's not fair to you and your opinion. It, your truth is, is not their truth. And, and uh, it bugs you a little bit and you go home and maybe you're in a, in a bad mood. You've got a bad attitude and, and maybe, you know, your wife asks you how everything went at work and you want to vent and you want to kind of talk about things and, and you come across very aggressive and very negative and, and, uh, and you kind of bring your wife down, you know, at least I do, you know, and, and she gets upset and then she gets a little, you know, short and curt and snappy. And, and all of a sudden you don't know why she's mad. And then all of a sudden all these things are spinning out of control. Well, I'll have a sign on my door before I walk in my house. It says CYB, you know, check your baggage. And so whenever I walk into the house, it's like, listen, everything that happened at work, all the negativity, all the stress, all of everything on my plate, I'm checking it right here at the door. And when I walk through these door, walk through this door and I go inside, I'm spending quality time with my wife, with my kids. You know, this is going to be a positive experience. You know, we're going to be happy. You know, we're not going to focus on anything that happened today that is completely out of my control right now. I want to be where my feet are. Okay, so now uh, in the chapter, The Long Walk, you talk about compartmentalization. Um, and then you also talk about uh, procrastination and, um, how do we stop procrastinating? Well, that's, that's, uh, that's a deep question. And we talk about that in the chapter. So we say, redefine how you think about procrastination. One, like you don't fear the task itself. You, uh, just don't like the feelings associated with doing the task. So if you can think about the task in a different way, right, things will be um, much easier for you to, um, to accomplish. You know, you want to stop procrastinating, obviously, to improve your productivity. And it, by doing so, you can, you can manage that emotional energy in, in a much more efficient way. You talk about to avoid the um, analysis of paralysis, you have to... One of the steps is uh, deciding to stop being a perfectionist, and I think yeah. that, that can be hard, hard for so many people. You know, how do you how do you take that step? I mean, I think it's easy to say, "Oh, I'm just not going to be a perfectionist anymore." <laughs> and uh, oh, it, oh, it's it's yeah. a process. I, I, I was I'm a reformed perfectionist. You know what I mean? Like I was such a perfectionist when I was a kid. Like I would get emotional if things weren't like perfect and it, things didn't go the way that I wanted to, and I realized how many, you know, how sad I was, like how, how emotional I was and how this was such a negative thing for me growing up, you know, and I, and I realized something needed to change. Like I couldn't live my life like this. 
And I started reading articles and books about perfectionism and how, you know, perfection is, is the enemy of good. You know, and I started, as I got into business, I started reading articles and, and information about how, um, you know, very successful entrepreneurs would say, listen, if uh, you're not embarrassed by your first try, you've waited too long to launch your business. And I was like, wow, that's powerful. You know, and I remember the first time we launched uh, our business, Mission Six Zero. Uh, we got some feedback from all the guys on the team that participated in the event. And, and one guy in particular, he was like, I'm embarrassed. Like, I don't want to be associated with this. Like we had so many drop balls and we didn't do this right. Everybody else was very positive. Like, man, for our first go, this was awesome. We got great feedback from the client. Everybody was happy. We really delivered a great product. And yeah, there were a lot of drop balls our first time. And, uh, and my buddy who, who was really harsh and critical, you know, and saying, this is not, I don't want to be associated with a company that that's like this. You know, he, he left and I, I sent him this article afterwards. I was like, Hey man, if you're not embarrassed by your first try, you've waited too long. We're going to improve. We're going to get better. You know, we're going to, we're going to really hone this in. And, um, he didn't really buy that. And I said, listen, here's the deal. Like, um, the article says, if you're not embarrassed, right. It doesn't say if you're not ashamed, like, I'm not ashamed of that at all. Like, yeah, we can improve, we can do better, but um, but we did a great job and we'll, we'll only get better moving out, moving forward from here on out. Perfect Good. is a moving target, you know? And if the standard is always perfection, then you're very rarely going to hit that. If someone's ever come up to you and said, God loves you, he's got a plan for your life, you're beautiful, and you, you know it's true, but it just kind of feels skin deep. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of a meat to that. Well, Felicia Masonheimer understands that. She went to all these women's conferences for years and thought, man, there's, it feels like there needs to be more. So she wrote a book about that. Called, it's called Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding Soul Deep Strength in a Skin Deep World. And she's going to be in the 30 Second Book Club next week.